0: Welcome to We the Voters. I'm your host, Francine Dash. And tonight we're talking to Kara Kay. Let's listen in and learn about what Kara has been doing in her community. Kara, thank you so much for joining us. You have, how long have you been a resident of Staten Island? Oh, we moved here in 2008. 2008. So you've been there a good amount of time.
1: I'm originally from the Midwest, so right,
0: right. I was At- born. And just in full disclosure, I actually met Kara years ago. i trying not to date us,
1: back in <laughs> Ohio. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we're both uh, Midwestern-born people, so nothing wrong yeah. with that. No, but now you've been in a position where I like to call it an opportunity uh, for you to be able to help people. Uh, to get their lives on track. And I want to talk a little bit about that. I want to talk about its impact on your community and on your family. So you have been working with families that were bused to your community and placed in holding areas and hotels. Yes, correct. So as a sanctuary city, what did that look like?
1: Overwhelming. Uh, As a sanctuary city, we have had systems in place to help people um, who are seeking to resettle here in the United States. But with busloads of people coming in the way that they did back in October and continue to come in, it has overwhelmed the system. And that means that the citizens here have to care enough to step in and offer support to help these folks along their journey. Uh, Otherwise, they will literally be abandoned to the streets if we don't make a more concerted effort to try to find a place for them to stay that's safe, make sure that they have culturally appropriate warm food, clothing, medicine, legal counsel, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the situation.
0: And so you get plugged in somehow to this, this, I guess, all hands on deck kind of effort approach.
1: Yeah. Well, I was. paying attention to the news and I saw a ramp up of articles about immigration and um, what was happening in Texas and the governor was threatening to send people to New York City and then in October it was like mid-October I read a headline um, that said migrant mom begs for food in New York City and when I read that article, it just broke my heart. There was a woman named Catherine Cruz who was flagging down cars, and she had her one-year-old with her, and she would put the one-year-old up to the cars that were going by, and um, try to get them to stop, really? so that she could feed the child because the food that was available to them it wasn't culturally appropriate. They're not you; they're not accustomed to eating pizza or ham and cheese sandwiches, or you know they eat a specific type of food that their systems are used to handling and digesting. And it would, any of us, if any of us were plucked out and put into another culture and then given food that we're not used to, we would get sick. And Mm. so that's what was happening to them. And so the kids were getting sick Mm. and her child wouldn't eat. Her child hadn't eaten for three days. And so she was trying to find a method to get the kind of food that her child would be able to process and eat. Mm-hmm. And so it broke my heart. I was just I, sobbing, reading this article and realizing that, that the incident was happening 15, 20 minutes away from me on Staten Island. And I just, I couldn't look away from it. And I absolutely had to engage. And so I contacted a friend of mine who was originally from Columbia okay. and I asked her to help me draft like an introductory letter with questions on it so that I could find out what was needed Mm -hmm. and grabbed my boys. And we went down to the location um, on the island. There's like a series of hotels out in the middle of nowhere and um, went there with clipboards and bottled water in a cooler that said, agua gratis, free water. And then we just tried to convey warmth and welcome. uh, And how did that
0: and how did that go over with the people there? It was
1: very awkward, very awkward <laughs> at first. And I immediately felt like, oh, this was not a good approach. I, I don't think I should have brought the clipboards. I wanted to look official. But then I realized, oh, official people would probably scare them. Mm. And so I, I, it was very awkward. But um, we broke through that. I did make eye contact with someone who smiled back and took the clipboard. And um, there happened to be a reporter. location and he came up to me and said hey you might want to try google translate (laughs) and so he loaded that on my phone that changed everything that changed the entire um effort uh so google translate allowed us to really truly uh connect and communicate and um that day i got three families who were willing to engage and fill out the forms and let me know what they needed and uh, my intention was to then take that back and to try to find other people who would come alongside and help me take care of, of the people that I had met. And, oh, um, yes. so that so you
0: wanted to create a help group based yes. on the needs yeah. list. Gotcha. Yeah. gotcha. Yes, exactly. Now, yeah, now you, so- mentioned, you mentioned taking both of your boys down there. Was this a family? Did this turn into a family wide effort?
1: Well, pretty much. Yeah. Um, I had been talking about it in the house with them, you know, I can't believe this, I can't believe that, and and ex- expressing myself about the situation, um, so they knew that it was something that was burdening my heart, and when that article came about, and I shared it with them, I said, we have to, I have to do something and I can't do it alone. So you have to come with me. And, and um, they didn't, they didn't think twice about it. It was not
0: hard to get them involved at
1: all. They were like, absolutely. So yeah.
0: yeah. Well, that's that's awesome. So you're down there with the people with your clipboard and you have Google translate Yeah. and you're looking them in the eye. You're also witnessing the conditions in which they are living in that moment. Describe yeah. to us what it looked like to your eyes. What were the conditions? What what did the living conditions look like? What did the yeah. atmosphere look like? Was well, it clean? These partic-
1: yeah, the, these particular hotels, they just exist on a strip that's out in the middle of nowhere on okay. Staten Island right off of the expressway okay and um a lot of the there used to be like a strip mall there but it's everything's abandoned and it's just it just looks desolate it just looks abandoned and desolate Mm -hmm. and um and so they're stuck at the hotels and uh, other migrants that are put in hotels like in manhattan or in brooklyn they're in the city. So they have access to the bus lines. They can get on a bus line and they can get to other organizations and they can access things more easily to help them along than these particular folks who are just stuck out in the middle of nowhere. And they're just kind of like they're waiting for effort to show up um, in the form of help and needs <laughs> and um, move them along in, in their journey. So it, it felt it felt like, well, if I put myself in their shoes, I would feel helpless. I would feel abandoned. I would feel scared. I would feel um, pretty hopeless in terms of what do I do next? I don't speak this language. Who can I talk to? How can I get help? Um, I would feel stuck. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was really important to me to try to make a, a connection that conveyed you are not alone
0: Mm -hmm.
1: help is on the way (laughs) I don't know how much help is on the way but the intention to bring help is on the way (laughs) yeah so that that's what it was initially and that was back in October 2022 and since then there has been an ongoing effort since then to care for uh many several families who have been receiving a direct compassionate care from this little team of people, very loving people, sacrificial people who want to come wanted to come along back then and have continued to invest their time and efforts and energy um, to help
0: as much as they can. So as you were developing relationships with people to learn about their needs, what did you learn about the resources or support that they were getting from other places or or are they receiving any yeah. by th- and by that let me clarify I mean everybody wants to get on their feet right so are yeah. there resources that right. help them get on their feet. Right well take care of themselves?
1: This was um an an effort, a spontaneous effort on my part. And I jumped in in complete ignorance. So I had no idea in terms of who got them there, how they were getting processed, who was trying to give them help. Who, I, I didn't know. I had no idea. Um, and like I said, at that time, it was a triage situation. There definitely have been organizations in New York City who have been helping immigrants for a long time, many, many years, decades of effort trying to get people resettled in America and walking them through that process. But because so many people were just dropped off here, Mm -hmm. um, it overwhelmed everyone and Mm -hmm. everyone was scrambling to try to figure out how to make sure people got the basics of just food and water, just like Mm -hmm. food and water, getting that to them. And that was a challenge. That was very, very difficult. Um, They weren't set up to prepare nice hot meals of uh, chicken and rice and beans and things that these families would be used to eating. And so they were getting they were getting food, but it wasn't food that they were accustomed to. So it would it would make them sick. And then their kids didn't either got sick or they just wouldn't eat. Mm -hmm. Uh, So. We, our little team, we wanted to meet that basic need. And we started preparing food from our own kitchens and then packaging it up and taking it to the families. And um, that has been an ongoing effort to this day since October 2022. um, There are two specific ladies, uh, Evelyn and Lori, that I want to give a shout out to. It makes me cry. (laughs) Even uh, thinking of these little warrior women, <laughs> who have been so so faithful in cooking, um, pretty much every day, uh, they take turns and they prepare um, all kinds of wonderful, amazing meals to send down to the families and um, make to, just to make sure that they have uh, nutritious input so that they can make it through the day and so that their children are fed well and and they can get through. Now, at this point, things are much better than they were at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So other organizations that are out there and the city itself have had the time to try to catch up. So we've seen families move on from the hotels and move on to other locations. We've seen some of the families that we were taking care of, they've actually found apartments. Um, They are moving forward. Uh, Mm -hmm. They have health cards or MTA bus cards. They have things and tools available so that it's not as overwhelming as it was in the in the beginning, so um, one thing that happened that first initial visit, we had spent a few hours trying to communicate with people and get lists and and come up with um, just a way to to meet the needs there. Mm-hmm. And we were getting ready to pack up and leave, and there was this mom who came up to me and she had such fear; her eyes were just full of tears and she had desperation in her voice and basically her child was sick. Her little one was sick and had a very, very high fever and she needed medicine. Mm. And I was so ready to go home. (laughs) So tired, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't say no to her. So I had, I went out and I got medicine and I just got like a bunch of medicine Mm -hmm. and then get back and then tried to pass it out. And, um, because the kids were at that time, it was getting cold outside and people were getting sick and they didn't have access to medicine in the way that we did. Yeah. So, um, it was really, really overwhelming, um, everything that was needed. Um, but people came out and were willing to help. Thank God. And it, it did and continue to want to help and try to go the extra mile to um meet the needs that are still the there and ongoing. Right, the
0: right. Now I want to go back to when this all began in your community and I kind of want to look at the response then and and the response now you alluded to it a little bit but I want to understand your community's response to these families coming in. Um,
1: Unfortunately, it's it's been very political. The whole thing, the whole mess is political.
0: Is um, it still political?
1: Oh, absolutely. 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 So I choose to not pay attention to that. I, I try to look beyond that and meet the need in spite of the politics. And I feel such... Uh, you know, if I dwell on it, I'll get very angry because these are human beings. They're not political pawns, but that's how they're being used. And, and by both sides, mm-hmm. um, they were used as pawns when they were shipped here to try to make some type of a of a political point. And they continue to be used here as well. Um, unfortunately, in a way that does not allow them to advance and meet the ultimate goal of resettlement, of being able to be integrated into our communities in a dignified manner so that they can establish themselves and raise their family and move forward in life. And there are so, there's so much bureaucracy in the way of allowing them to do that, that I've come to realize the real wall is not the one on the border. It's the bureaucracy that's here, the logistical wall mm-hmm. that is nearly impossible for them to overcome. That's where the real wall is. And that's why I say it's both sides, because both sides take advantage of their status mm-hmm. and use it for political means, political advancement. It's mm-hmm. theater. And these are real human beings that are being sacrificed for Political theater so that the politicians can say, Look what I did. Look what I did for you. Look what Mm -hmm. I did for our party. And meanwhile, there are some things that they could be doing and should be doing logistically so that these folks are able to safely move forward with their lives. And until they get to that point where they actually receive. Legal status for um, being here as refugees, they remain in this um, non status entity. Asylum seeker means a person who is in the process of seeking protection from a host country. And a person who is seeking asylum, they have the right to seek asylum, but that doesn't mean that they have any right to legal protection. And while they are here seeking uh, asylum and looking for a hearing in front of a judge who Mm -hmm. will listen to their case and determine whether or not they can receive a status as a refugee, Mm -hmm. they just are in an abyss of the unknown where they're not allowed to work, they're not allowed to, they don't have the right to access legal counsel or representation, Um, they aren't able to enter into uh, a contract with someone, like a lease contract, where they could, if they were to get money, where they could then go and get an apartment for themselves, they have no means of doing that. So they're just at the the mercy of the state putting them or the city putting them wherever they deem appropriate for them to stay until they can go through the process of becoming a refugee. And that could take years. That could take a long, long time. So then what are they to do? How are you to feed your family if you're not allowed to work? How are you supposed to um, live in a, in a shelter? The shelters are very dangerous. It is not, even though, you know, I, I've heard people on the street make comments, oh, they're getting everything for free. They're living in five-star hotels. Um, the cost that these people have gone through, the costs, they're not here for free.
0: Mm-hmm. They
1: there has been a high cost to get to this point. Mm-hmm. And if you were stuck, I don't care how many stars a hotel can um, brag about. If you were stuck in a hotel room with your entire family, one room, one double bed, and you have several kids, three kids, some I know of a woman who has five kids. Mm-hmm. in one hotel room. And then you're told when you can leave, when you can come, um, you can't leave your kids alone. So you have to stay in that hotel room. You're not allowed to work. I mean, all of the confinements that are there, mm-hmm. uh, uh, there's nothing free about it. There's nothing luxurious but about they don't it. have
0: freedom of movement even. Well, this-
1: let me, let me, let me uh, take, let me step that back a little bit. All of the hotels are contracted with okay. the city. And okay. when they, they're paid, they're paid very handsomely to house uh, immigrants. Okay. And in so doing, they are in charge of how they manage that situation, basically. Oh, so, not all, so not all of them manage them in the same way. Gotcha. So the hotels on Staten Island, for a long time, they had the National Guard there. And people that were living in the hotels, they had to check in and check out. They had to go through this long process. So if we were going to drop off food, we might be sitting there waiting for a good 15, 20, 30 minutes before a person can actually make it out of the building to come and get their food. Wow. Uh, so there, the experience on Staten Island at that time, it was it was very controlled and very limited. And then at some point, the hotel... Um, was sold to somebody else. And when the new owner in the came, middle in, of all of this, it was yes, sold. yes, wow. yes. And then and then they got rid of all of the National Guard. Okay. And so the National Guard was gone, and then our families were very concerned about that because the National Guard, their presence, uh provided a sense of security. Okay. where P- there were no sh- shenanigans going on, let's just say. But then when the National Guard left, all kinds of of things started happening in the hotel rooms that were really concerning to our families okay. uh, at the time. And, um, and now, you know, that particular owner of the hotel took away Wi-Fi, they took away TVs, they took away, um, they just limited, limited, limited access to things that would allow people to take care of their families, to get information online, to um, do what they need to do, again, to make progress in their pursuit of trying to get a hearing and, and gain refugee status and find work, et cetera. So they kept adding obstacles unnecessarily, it seems, uh, to an already difficult situation that's fraught with obstacles and that's why i say the the real wall is in the logistics of trying you know, to
0: provide do you know who the company is that owns the hotel that you're referencing and no you, the, has there not. been any has there been any explanation to the families as to why <laughs> these resources were being taken away from no. the hotel?
1: No, because that that assumes that they are respected as families. No, no, they're they're treated as if you should you should be grateful that you have a place to stay. And, you know, nobody's answering their questions. Uh, Absolutely not. So there was a caseworker that I was in contact with and um, for a long time. And she was very limited in what she could share with me, um, again, because of the politics of her job and what she's allowed to say. And, and so I couldn't get a lot of information from her about what was happening in the hotels and why. And, uh, so I just, again, instead of, instead of trying to figure all of that out, which is beyond my ability anyway, I have no control over any of that. I just tried to stay focused on what are the needs and what, can we do and what can we provide uh to help them through
0: at this and, time and since october of last year you you and your your team a small group of people have been doing that how many people are on your team how many volunteers are these volunteers primarily
1: oh yeah absolutely mm-hmm. how we're, many, we're, how not many, a, we're not a formally organized group by any stretch of so you're <laughs>
0: concerned neighbors your neighbors right Your no, community. Well,
1: so what happened was um, after this initial um, connection that I made at the hotels, I came back with my information and I sent out emails and I sent out um, text messages to people that I felt would take the time to read and respond. And it was through that, that I found lori and evelyn who i had never met before or known before Mm -hmm. um i met them through that effort and the two of them live right by the hotels and so i really wanted to get involved and help out both of them are spanish-speaking gals um thank the heavens above um that Mm -hmm. has made all the difference in the world they live right by the hotels and they can speak spanish and they became the bridge for those of us who don't speak spanish now i jumped on duolingo right away and i (laughs) started learning spanish Uh, since then thank you duolingo Uh, i am trying to make an effort but um it's slow going and um I still feel um, more comfortable in using Google Translate. So I will practice with the families when I am with them and they are very gracious and loving and patient. Uh, But when it comes down to it, when it's logistical things need to be talked about, I have to use Google, Google Translate. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Now you started with three families. How many families are you all helping right now? And what does Um, that, what does that help look like?
1: It. It ballooned to thirteen families for a time, and then f- people move on um, for many different reasons. We had we had a family move back to Colombia. They they came all of this way, but the difficulty of surviving here was just too much for them, and so they actually went back to Colombia, wow. um, which was just astounding to me because, um, because of the journey, it, what they have to go through to even get here. Mm
0: -hmm. And,
1: um, and then to make that decision was, wow. Now that was only one family out of all of them that I know of that, that decided to just go back. But, um, some people, they decide to move to another state.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, they have opportunities to go to Canada or somewhere else, or they get uh, relocated, um, through, other people who have been here before them. So there's like a revolving door of sorts. And gotcha. uh, that, um, that group has whittled down to five families now. And out of the five, four of them are single moms. Um, and Lori has really taken on the bulk of with Evelyn's help, of course, mm-hmm. um, of cooking, continuing to cook for them and, and take care of them. And, and their plan is to do that until school starts in mm-hmm. September. Kids get in school, they'll be able to get food. They'll, the moms will be able to work mm-hmm. because kids will be in school. It's just the summertime has been very difficult um, on everyone. Uh, so that is, the, that is the, the status as of now.
0: So Kara, why help in this way? why was this why was this the way you chose to get involved?
1: Well, I just I didn't know what else to do uh, other than to step in and to look around and assess and and figure out what is the immediate need and to respond to that immediate need and then as the needs started changing then to adapt um, and and also to try to learn and understand the complexity of the system and try to figure out why is this so difficult? Why is it so hard? And it real honestly, Francine, it wasn't until last night that I had a big aha moment. There was uh, an organization that led me to an organization um, where the guy I was talking to, was trying to give me advice and in it he clarified and said we help refugees. And I was like so that's different from mm-hmm. an asylum seeker and yes it's different a refugee has a, has obtained a legal status by going through a process outlined by the host country. And once you become a refugee Then you have legal protections, you have the right to work, you have everything that you need to move forward. So the the organizations that are there to help are Mm -hmm. aimed at helping the refugees because they're allowed to. Mm -hmm. So we've been helping asylum seekers, asylum seekers who are wanting to be um, given the status of refugee. And because they're asylum seekers, they're not recognized by the system yet.
0: Okay. And
1: so that is why it has been so impossible to try to find other organizations that can come around and meet the specific need, which is they've got to get work so that they can make money, so that they can get their own place to rent that's affordable, and so they can afford legal um, counsel and representation. And those are huge hurdles because the lawyers are charging eh, $12,000, $12,000. If you're lucky, you might find one who's Mm $6,000, but it may as well be a million dollars when you are not allowed to work. So then you have to go and work through the way that they're doing it is uh, the Spanish speaking people are working through the Spanish speaking networks. The Russian speaking people are working through the Russian speaking networks, the Syrian people. So the people who come in are finding those who have come before them Mm-hmm. And they try to connect with them in hopes of getting pathways opened up so that they can find the work that they need to under the table and get money coming in, in that manner. Mm-hmm. Uh, you find a room, maybe somebody has a home and they'll rent a bedroom, but it's mm-hmm. all word of mouth and it's all under the table. None of it is, is legal. And if they could technically. The man that I was talking to last night, I was I was lamenting about how these folks they need to be able to work in a safe environment with dignity, <laughs> and earn money to be able to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, "But if they get caught doing that, they will lose their ability to gain refugee status."
0: Isn't that so, ironic that yeah, you're working, yes, people want to work. And they will get in trouble, and thrown out of the country because they yeah. want to work and want to work legally. That's yeah. that's interesting.
1: Yeah. So that that leaves them vulnerable then to illegal methods of making money. So mm-hmm. they are very they are exploited by people. Um, they are lured into all kinds of nefarious um, money making schemes of various kinds. And um, then again, you know, you lose your your sense of self, your sense of dignity, your sense of worth. Uh, but what else are you supposed to do if you're a single mom and you have five kids and you have to be able to feed them and you have to be able to get a lawyer and you have all of these needs? And then someone comes along and then offers you um, a, a nefarious way of making money. Um, you know, th- these women are in a situation where they really have no choice or they feel they have no choice because no positive pathway is being offered to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, so sadly, um, Lori has noticed that, um, not her family's, But um, some of the other women who are in these situations, it appears as though they're prostituting themselves outside of the hotels. Um, Drug deals are happening. Gangs are present. Um, There's all kinds of of things coming into the area, which my pushback to those who are saying, you know, uh, we've done enough for them. Uh, they shouldn't be given any more help well when when you say that the only option you're leaving is for them to be exploited by illegal activity and then that's going to be happening in your neighborhoods so if you want your neighborhoods to be void of illegal activity then be proactive in creating positive pathways for them to earn money and for them to take care of themselves. If you deny them the ability to do that, you've left them with no choice, no other option, but to take whatever comes along so that they can make their way. Uh, So I'm very passionate about trying to figure out a way to do that. and, And I really believe that the answer ultimately lies with Our religious institutions, because our religious religious institutions have freedoms and protections that would allow them to create those positive pathways and provide uh, methods for refugee uh, asylum seekers to um, get what they need to provide for themselves and in safety and Mm -hmm. with dignity and with protections.
0: Now Uh, There's still the issue of them not having documentation. So how exactly do you see that working with religious organizations? How can they overcome this obstacle that does not allow them to report? What would they report it to? There's no social security number. How do they pay the taxes, the employee, employer taxes on the employees and and that sort of thing. And overall, what what has to change in our system in order to rectify this situation? You alluded to walls being in other places and bureaucracies being in other places. What would have to change in order to allow asylum seekers while they are seeking asylum to be able to support themselves and their families? Right. Okay. Great
1: questions, and thank you for asking. So, your first question: How can religious institutions help? Uh, the religious sector can be a bridge for asylum seekers by uh, providing economic pathways mm-hmm. that do not label them as an as em, employees. Mm-hmm. So you're right. If you if you hire someone and they're an employee. Then they have to have a social security number. You pay taxes on them, et cetera, what have you. But a religious institution could do something else. They could, um, they could focus on um, a particular. Let's say you know I mentioned single moms, single migrant moms. So um, an organ, a religious organization could say we're going to focus on single migrant moms, and instead of paying them as if they're um, employees, we're going to offer vouchers. Whenever they take a skill-building class of some co- some kind, they'll get a voucher for that skill-building. Okay. Uh, we can create work opportunities, but they can work as volunteers in those work opportunities, and they would again uh, obtain vouchers by participating as volunteers in those work opportunities. And then they can turn those vouchers in and trade them in for things that they need like strollers, clothing, personal care items, etc. cetera. They could open up a nonprofit cleaning service and create that as a type of ministry. And then moms could volunteer as cleaners who work and earn big ticket vouchers that could then translate into rent payments and legal representation. And the religious organization, they act as a fiscal intermediary on behalf of the migrant moms. So a whole community congregation could build themselves around the effort of supporting um, a group of migrant families of some kind and create those pathways so that they can get what they need in a safe, reliable fashion, in a safe, reliable way, and just serve as a bridge until they get to their hearing so that they can gain their refugee status in which they would then get a green card and then they could actually go out and become an employee and start making their way. But in the meantime, the religious organization would be able to set them up with skill building classes, English as a second language class, parenting classes, all of which when they participate and show the effort of participation, they would get in return the things that they need that they would otherwise go out and buy for themselves if they had a job and were making money. Mm-hmm. The, the religious organization would get those things and act as a fiscal inter- intermediary um, on behalf of those migrant families same thing with um providing shelter so religious organizations churches temples mosques uh, communities they have buildings they have access to all kinds of of um, properties that they use for their own purposes but if they were to be intentional with those properties perhaps and and create some shelter spaces and take in specific families that um, get involved in their program, identify the families that would work well within their community, provide shelter directly uh, for them or be willing to um, act as, uh, again, an intermediary who would sign a rental agreement on behalf of those who are mm-hmm. in need of shelter. So you just you create a program with like an intake process that qualifies participants who are mm-hmm. willing to invest their time and energy
0: mm-hmm. into
1: Earning vouchers, and then that results in, in community in that uh, setting. You are then integrating them into the community of the people who are, are willing to help them out, and you are providing them with a dignified method of, um, of living and um, obtaining the um, pathways towards uh, refugee status and resettlement, ultimately, with that being the ultimate goal.
0: And what would have to change in order to allow asylum seekers to gain employment, in your opinion? Uh, Maybe this is a political question. I'm not sure, but I'd like to hear from you as to because you spoke about these walls. Right.
1: Yes. So there's an organization called Human Rights Watch, Mm -hmm. Human Rights Watch, and um, they outline exactly what what is needed, what the recommendations are. Um, So I can read a couple of those to you right now. Um, To the President of the United States, call on Congress to repeal the Illegal Immigration Reform and Immigrant Responsibility Act of 1996. Um, And that has to do with work authorization. So um, doing what is necessary to change the laws that are in place that prohibit asylum seekers from working, calling on Congress to enact the legislation and the amendments that are needed um, to reform. There's um, an act called the INA, Immigration and Nationality Act, and um, the uh, Human Rights Watch organization is calling for uh, Congress to amend that, and um, they is also just a detailed list of um, on their site of of the steps to contact Congress and and make a political effort in trying to change the logistics and the processes. So, so that- not
0: even really trying to change an entire immigration plan or create one, but at least this is, is at least for the time being remove yeah. barriers that. Correct. allow people to start working basically immediately once they are yeah. able to secure their standing in this country. Because yeah. you know, the, the interesting part of that is that we have people working already illegally. We have children uh, being used in factories, which is not supposed to happen in this country. So people are going to work. Right. This is creating Making it legal for them to work. So again, it goes back to the dignity that you were talking about, uh, you know, as far as people being able to jumpstart their lives in this country.
1: Compared to other developed nations, the U.S. stands alone in, in this type of denial of refusing to allow asylum seekers to um, work and denying federal social benefits. We stand alone. <laughs> Why do you think, we,
0: why, why do you think that the United States has gotten to the point of not allowing asylum seekers to, to work? Uh, I
1: think that, again, I think that the benefit to the politicians is that they are political pawns that have proven to be useful over time. Maybe that's overly simplistic to say it that way but nothing else makes sense to me. I, 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 it doesn't make sense why you would not allow um, we, I've been to so many restaurants with help wanted uh, and stores. We have a great need of um, businesses looking for people who will come in and work. So I I, it, I don't think it has has anything to do with trying to save jobs for American citizens. It it doesn't make sense. Other than there there is a lot of money that can be made off of people who are seeking asylum and are not working. Um, there's a lot of money that is exchanged in, in through all kinds of um, organizations because of their status so I can only make assumptions
0: what advice would you give to others who want to help either in this way or in some way in their community the way you and your friends have come together to help in yours how do you recharge or reset yourself for the other people who also rely on you and by that I mean your own family
1: yes that is a challenge um an ongoing challenge an ongoing discussion something that i am constantly needing to uh focus on and consider Um, because getting involved in this way um, it demands investment and commitment once you know a person's name who is suffering. Um, it's hard to just go to sleep at night and get a good night's sleep because you now are invest your heart and your life is invested in in their well being. And when you know that they're not in a good place in a safe place, um, it can really take a lot out of you to try to figure out how to get them to that safe place. And um, my group, we've had several um, meetings. We get together um, on Zoom and um, we pray together and we encourage one another. And we try to remind one another that, that we can only do what we can do. Mm -hmm. And, We're doing what we're doing out of faith. It's a faith practice. And ultimately, it it is not us who, we can't save the world, right? We cannot answer every single need that's out there. But what we can do is we can make an offering And we can have faith that that offering will bloom and blossom into something that is nourishing and will do more than we ever could have tried to do on our own without faith. And we just continue to encourage each other in that way so that we don't completely get so overwhelmed that we end up neglecting our own our own well-being and our own families around us. Uh, we have a wonderful pastor who is involved with this effort. And he heads up an organization in New York called the Love Kitchen. And I highly recommend anyone and everyone to check them out online. Um, they've done a wonderful job coming alongside and um, helping us help other people. And um, he's been a wonderful mentor to us in reminding us that everyone has a bandwidth and you have to be responsible in assessing your bandwidth and um, do not try to move beyond the, the bandwidth that God has given you and um, trust that whatever, again, whatever your offering is that God will take it and do above and beyond what you could ever imagine and have peace in that and have joy in that. That there is a joy in this kind of effort and a joy in this kind of work and that those that you are helping, when you do it out of love, that is what heals and that is what transcends the difficulties and the challenges of what people are going through. And we see that again and again and again and we receive back from them. I mean, when Evelyn and Lori and uh, Shireen, we've all said again and again, when they thank us, we immediately say, no, thank you. Thank you for letting us do this. Thank you for letting us be a part of your journey and your experience. You are ministering to us. You are teaching us. You are helping us. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So in that reciprocation, um, there is community and there is healing and there is hope so if anybody out there I would encourage if you're stirred in any way to want to get involved in any way I would say start from that place you know uh, start from that place of love and empathy for those who are in need and, Understand that you can only do what you can do, and that is enough. And not be discouraged in doing good. Never become discouraged by doing good. Um, there's joy in it. And there is a promise that when you do that good in faith and in love, it will grow into something that will make the world a better place.
0: Wow. Well, wow. Well said. Well said. Um, well, this concludes our podcast for we the voters. I'd like to thank Kara again for sharing your story and sharing the story really of people going through a huge transition and trying to make their way in this country, uh, from asylum seekers to refugees and whatever the next steps are beyond that to hopefully citizens someday. Um, for those of you who are interested in learning more, I will have links up Um, on our website, you can click on those links and learn about Human Rights Watch and the Love Kitchen. And I'll try to uh, collect a couple more links to help people plug into these efforts in this part of our country. Uh, Kara, is there a, a, a space where people can donate if they want to reach out to you or your team? Is there a way to donate?
1: I would just recommend donating to Love Kitchen. Uh, They are an honorable organization uh, who have been around for almost 40 years at this point in time, Um, and um, you can trust that your donation to them will make its way to the work that we are doing. Um, They're a phenomenal, phenomenal organization.
0: Thank you so much again for sharing your story and the issues that matter most to, to you at this time. Mm-hmm. and I wish you the best and continued success and staying encouraged and just being your authentic self now people who don't know you I know this is just who Kara is you're all in no matter what it is and I'm, I'm so grateful that uh, you're attacking this issue in that way so thank you again and thank you for the uh, privilege of hearing your story well thank you